Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. We appreciate you joining us. My name is Brian, and along with my co-host is Jeff. Jeff, how are you doing tonight? i doing quite well. Looking forward to uh, the topic tonight. Yeah, you know, we're going to be talking about the subject of anger and certainly is an emotion that everybody can relate to. And, you know, Jeff, this is one of those that's kind of interesting because, you know, we know there are passages like James 1.20 that says the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Yet we're also told to be angry and sin not. Right. So uh, it's, it's not as straightforward as some might think. Right. But it is definitely a subject we need to think about. Well, true, and I, I like your uh, observation that you know it's it's something that we all have a tendency to do, and sometimes as a result we do things we shouldn't, you know, stick our foot in our mouths, etc. And yet, as you said, at at the same time, the scriptures do seem to indicate things like righteous indignation, for instance. So it's it's kind of a complex subject with a lot of different facets. And hopefully to provide some clarity from the scriptures for our listeners tonight, we have a uh, special uh, guest with us tonight, our uh, preacher, Alan Hitchin. Uh, good evening, Alan. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing really well, guys. And as always, really grateful to have this opportunity to talk with you tonight. Yeah. And Alan, uh, you know, we save these hard subjects for you. So no, <laughs> but it, it is kind of a dynamic subject, isn't it? And certainly you know, one in which we see at the very beginning of the Bible, you know, one of the first sins we read about after Adam and Eve sinned, uh, we see anger, don't we, with Cain and Abel. And, and so uh, starts from the beginning, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And the reason I wanted to start with that verse uh, this evening is because God has some counsel here, some very important counsel to not just Cain, but all of us. And so I wanted to start here because I had a conversation with a young man a few weeks ago, and I told him that once the anger starts, you have about a half of a second to make up your mind, I'm going to control this, or it's too late. You're already in it, and you're already acting, and as as you pointed out, the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. Anything we do after the point where we become angry, we're going to regret, <clears throat> and we're going to have to apologize for and so I was counseling this man, and I would urge all of you to the same thing. When you start to feel the anger, you only have, as I say, just a split second between I'm going to control this and I'm just going to let loose. And so, uh, Jeff, would you like to read Genesis chapter 4, verses uh, 5 through 7 for us? Certainly. And he, of course, referring to God, did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So this is actually a very interesting topic, and maybe at some time in the future we can talk about Cain and Abel and the sacrifices that they offered and how God uh, dealt with each of the sacrifices. But in this particular instance, we're not so focused on the sacrifice, but Cain's response. When God rejected his sacrifice because it was not offered by faith, Cain became angry. Now, the thing we have to understand about anger is that there's a place for it. And being angry at ourselves for making a mistake 
is something that can be very productive. Being angry with ourselves when uh, we didn't do something that we should have done right is, is a good thing because it can help us to move in the right direction. But God tells Cain here, uh, if you do well, then I'll, if your anger, if you'll direct your anger toward bringing the right sacrifice, then I'll accept you. But sin is lying at the door. And this anger is at a point where you could go either way. And so his final counsel is you should rule over it. And this is the advice, again, that I give to everyone who, who allows their temper to pop or snap at some moment, that you've got to take that moment and say, I'm going to control this, because at, at that point, we lose control. And so uh, God's initial counsel for all of us when it comes to anger is keep control, rule over it, make sure that it doesn't become the driving force but you become the driving force. There's a proverb that says, a man who has no control over his spirit is like a city without walls. And so we have to learn how to stop the anger and direct the anger in the way that God had desired for that anger to be directed. Well, and unfortunately, in the case of uh, Cain, um, he did not heed God's advice and you know, went on to let, I guess, that anger sort of fester um, and it finally manifests itself in his uh, murder of his brother um, and certainly we see that from the very beginning of the bible you know genesis yeah only four chapters into the book um now fast forward over into the new testament uh, are there similar uh, warnings or advice uh, perhaps coming from jesus for us today yes uh, I, I would like to direct us to jesus sermon on the mount and uh, uh, this is found, of course, in, in Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus says some things about anger, which you, you made a very astute observation, and we're going to come back to Cain in just a moment, because Jesus also directly ties anger and murder together. And so uh, I'd like to just briefly, well, Brian, would you go ahead and read that for us, Matthew 5, 21 through 23? Here it says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. So we see here that Jesus is contrasting what the Pharisees and Sadducees were te teaching the people in that day with what he had come. He came to bring the boundaries back where they belong. And he points to the fact that anger with a brother is the tipping point. And it's interesting because that's what happened with Cain. Once Cain's anger was directed to his brother, the next thing that came was murder. So. Jesus wants us to understand that anger and direction are key. Murder, the, the sin of murder does not occur when we get out a gun or we get out something to shoot someone or kill someone. The act of murder or the, the guilt of murder, it is imputed the very moment that our anger is directed against a brother. And that's going to be really our central focus in the class. So. 
we'll be coming back to this and, and illustrating it and coming back to it and illustrating it until I hope that all of our listeners have an understanding here because, uh, as, as you pointed out at the beginning, there is a sin of anger, but there's also an anger that is not sinful. And for Christians, we need to learn exactly where that line is, because even if we don't do anything, even if the person never even knows that we were angry with them, the fact is that we need to repent, because Jesus says we're guilty. We are guilty whenever we are angry with a brother. And so he, he gives us a progression that we will come back to from, on, from anger to the term raka, to the term you fool, and then to the term murder. So anger leads to raka, raka to moron, moron to murder. So that's the, the four progressions here that we'll be talking about uh, as, the, as our podcast continues. You were mentioning this, what we just read here, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in that same sermon, Jesus also in Matthew 7 talked about, you know, sort of building a foundation. And so, you know, when you look at that, uh, foundation that you know Jesus talked about, Alan. What type of emphasis uh, should his disciples give to those words that he's he's teaching them? Well, whenever I talk about anything in the Sermon on the Mount, I, I like to take everyone to the conclusion. At the conclusion of the sermon, Jesus says something very profound, something that is very helpful to us as Christians because he kind of marks out Matthew five through seven. Uh, like we might like we might take a highlighter and highlight Matthew 5 through 7 that's essentially what Jesus does here and uh so Jeff I'd like you to read some of those concluding words that he gives let's let's take a look at uh, Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 27 okay therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall so our foundation these words are the foundation of our Christian walk, our Christian life, or as he says, our house, our Christian house. The, what we take with us when we leave this world and we go to the next, if we have built our life on these words, then we are founded on rock. But if we've ignored these words, and the reason I say that is because what Jesus says here about anger is something that every Christian needs to be very aware of everything jesus handpicks everything he puts into the sermon so at the end of the sermon he can say if you do all of these things then your house you're you're building on rock and your house will not fall which is the the implication here is is that everything about being a christian is really covered in these verses so for for his purposes, what he says about anger is part of the foundation that we must build. And so anger is a part of the human race. Uh, there's a lot of anger in the world today, uh, especially here in our country. The anger of people, the frustration of people, they're just, they're just on edge, pushed over into anger. And we read about terrible things that people do under the influence of this anger. And as Christians and disciples of Jesus, 
we need to understand exactly how God sees anger, and that way we can determine whether our anger is sinful or not sinful. Well, and you raise a good point because, at least as you've observed within the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus is saying, you know, don't be angry, which might lead some people to the conclusion that, well, okay, therefore, you know, any anger under any circumstances is wrong. And yet we've been saying, well, no, there are other passages that come into bear, you know, on this subject. Um, for instance, doesn't Paul, you know, have something to say about that over in Ephesians chapter 4? That's exactly right. Would you like to read that verse for us? It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. That's Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Okay, and that, that, that helps us to understand because Jesus and Paul are not contradicting each other. Matter of fact, Jesus and Paul are teaching exactly the same thing because the Holy Spirit is guiding Paul in all of his words. So if we take Jesus' words and we take what uh, Paul is saying here and what Jesus is saying, I think we get a pretty clear picture. And let me give you an illustration. If you have a precious object, maybe it's your, your cell phone, maybe it's a, a beautiful uh, vase or something highly breakable, and you've warned your children that you they need to be careful around these things, and you suddenly hear a crash and you go in there and your child has broken this thing that you told them not to, to, to do anything with. And of course the anger is gonna blaze up. You're gonna be angry because something precious to you has been broken. But if we carry it the next step and we move that anger from the loss of the uh, object that we thought was so important to us to the child, now we're in great danger because at that point, that anger could lead us to uh, abusing that child, calling that child names, even physically striking the child, not out of discipline, but out of anger. And so Paul's point is that the anger itself over breaking something, the anger itself over things that happen that are not appropriate. And, and you know, uh, Moses got angry when he saw the children of Israel uh, with their golden calf. He became very angry, but we call that righteous indignation because he should have been angry. That anger led him to rebuke the people, and that led to uh, the changing of the sin into repentance and of course that was a good thing uh, jesus did the same thing he he became angry when he saw the money changers but his anger was directed at their wickedness not at them and of course we see that on the cross when jesus said father forgive them for they know not what they do there was never angry anger at the people there was always anger at the actions and the results of those actions so Jesus takes us to, the, to the, the point where he says the precise moment of guilt is when we change from the event, the circumstances, the consequences to the person. When I'm no longer upset that something precious of mine is gone, I'm no longer upset that uh, something bad happened and it needs to be taken care of. And I focus that anger on the person, I focus my anger at directly at the person, then that's when the problem's gonna come in. Paul says, be angry and do not sin.
But Jesus says you can be in, in angry and be in danger of the council. So let's go back to that first anger that we talked about at the very beginning of the uh, of the podcast. God told Cain to rule over his anger. You see, at that point, his anger was not directed at Abel. It wasn't directed uh, at God. It was directed at him himself and the fact that his offering wasn't accepted and he was very angry about it. But God warned him that the next step could be tragic. And so, uh, Brian, would you like to read uh, this Genesis 4, 6 through 8 for us? Sure. Here it says, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. So we see, as Jesus said, that anger can lead to murder. And in this particular case, he makes it very clear as he's speaking. I'm not saying he's speaking of this event because we don't have quite enough information to be able to say that it was just the anger alone that caused Cain to kill his brother. But clearly the anger was not controlled. And the next thing we read about is the murder of his brother. And so he did not rule over it. And so we see that there is a tipping point. Anger itself. God speaks of anger a lot. God, we, we read about the wrath of God. We read about God's anger at sinful things people do and the terrible consequences that they are bringing upon themselves and upon others. So there is this moment when sin comes alive. You remember what James said. James said that uh, God tempts no man, but each man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lusts. Now, anger is one of those lusts. Anger is a very, very powerful emotion, and we can be drawn away by that anger into an enticement that will lead to sin. So it sounds like you're saying that Jesus puts the exact moment of sin with anger at the point where it's directed at a brother. And so going back to what we read a little bit earlier in Matthew chapter 5, can you help our listeners to see the progression that's mentioned there? Yes, there's definitely uh, four clear steps. And the fourth one is implied, and so we'll just kind of look at it. He said, Jesus says, I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. So you see the progression. First, you're in danger of the judgment, which would mean that you would be taken to a court. The next one is the council, which would be you would be taken to the Supreme Court. And the final one is you are taken before God himself and thrown into the hell of fire. And so the moment that my anger is directed, not at the action. As they say, we get angry if we're driving down the road and somebody just pulls right out in front of us and nearly hurts us, it creates anger. But we stop it there. We don't take it the next step, which is to focus on the driver. We don't even know why the driver did that. He might have made a blunder. It might have been he might have been sleepy. He might have had no, no real uh, 
desire to harm us in any way, but he did. He he broke into our lane and nearly caused a terrible accident that might have really, and, and so we tend to become angry. Now, the anger itself is not a problem, but we have to rule over it. But if we take it the next step, which is to feel anger at that brother, then that's where the sin starts. But then the moment our anger looks for words of contempt, uh, such as you idiot, you fool, you, uh, whatever comes out of our mouth at that point in time, that is where Jesus says, we've taken it to the next level. We've gone from anger to our brother to expressing contempt. You are lower than me. You are not worthy. You are, uh, and, and he says, essentially, that's leading toward murder. That's the next step. And then the third moment is when our anger curses, actually curses our brother with the word, you fool. There's a, a clear difference between uh, the raka and the you fool, because Jesus says, if you just say raka, you're in danger of the council. But if you actually say you fool, then you're in danger of the hell fire. So learning these distinctions is very important for every Christian who wants to be pleasing to God and who wants to build his house on the rock. Now, I suspect if our listeners are following along, you know, in their own Bibles or may have read the passage you're quoting from Matthew 5 before, they may not understand what you're saying when you use the word raka. Because, again, depending on translations, uh, some translations will give like an English equivalent and other translations will have like the King James has this word raka, which I, as you were talking, I quickly looked up. Basically, the underlying Greek word. It's the same word, it's, it's, and I'll probably mispronounce it, but it's, it's R-H-A-K-A, Raka. So right. it's a transliterated, brought over into English. Um, and so maybe to help our, our audience that may have King James or maybe hearing us use the word Raka, uh, can you maybe expand on that a little bit and give some potential uh, synonyms? Yes, uh, there's a there's a real, there's several really good dictionaries that, that I like to use, and uh, this particular one, he makes it clear that this is actually an Aramaic word, which is the, remember, the Aramaic language is the language the Jews started speaking after they went into Babylonian captivity. They were speaking Hebrew before that, but then Aramaic also came into their, into their uh, language. And then this word went into Greek. They liked it. Uh, it's a word that uh, expresses vexed contempt. It's accompanied by displeasure, anger, or again, contempt, usually addressed to a foolish, thoughtless, or presumptuous person. And so uh, it, it, this is fairly common. We do it with our children. We do it with our coworkers. We do it with our, with our fellow drivers. When they do something that displeases us, when they do something that angers us, there is a temptation, and Jesus describes the temptation as using this particular term. And so this term simply expresses our feeling that this person is unworthy of our treating him with respect. He is unworthy of our acting in a respectful manner. He lost that by, his, by whatever he just did. 
I don't longer have to treat him as a human being. I can treat him as something lower than a human being. I can start throwing out these terms of contempt and disgust and frustration. And we'll talk about some of the synonyms here in just a few moments. But whatever word your your translation has, the original word is kind of like amen. Amen started uh, in the original Hebrew language, and it, it never changed. It went into Greek, it went into Aramaic, it went into English. It it it's a word that crosses all boundaries because it means so be it. It's it's the way we end a prayer by giving our assent to it and our agreement to it. Well, raka is similar to that. It's a word that has gone into every language because every culture has contempt toward people who get in our way, cost us something, or lead to a circumstance where we are very frustrated and very irritated because we think they should have done better, we think they should have done more. Yeah, and when we look at the next term in this progression, you fool, or some translations say thou fool, you know, it's interesting because the the term fool itself may not seem too harsh to people, but if you look at the Greek word moros, you know, and you said, well, moron, (laughs) you know, most people would say that's kind of harsh, right? So when we think about these synonyms uh, in English, uh, can you help us to understand that a little more, Alan? Well, I think we have to go back. You remember in uh, uh, Psalms 14, uh, where it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so God has essentially relegated the people who don't believe in him to the term fool. And of course, all of those people are going to be lost. All of those people are going to be uh, cast away because they are foolish indeed not to believe there is a God. Because the heavens declare his, his glory and we see him through the things that are made. And so when they use the term fool, they were taking it down a level. Basically, they're saying, you are cursed by God. That is a way, you fool is a way of saying you are morally worthless. Uh, you are, uh, your, your heart, your character, your, your uh, attitude, you're just not, you're a worthless person. And even God would condemn you. And so this is a curse. This is a, the, the, the term you fool is a way for us to express our contempt to the point where we are actually wishing that God would curse this person. So the biggest difference between raka, which is a a showing of contempt, would mean I judge you as being worthless. But if you use the word fool, you fool, now you're saying even God considers you worthless. And at that moment, uh, you remember Paul saying, judge nothing before the time when God will reveal the hidden things of the heart. When you pass judgment, on another human being and say to them, this is how God feels about you. Uh, Jesus says at that point, you're, you're guilty. You, you're in danger of the hell fire. When we start taking God's name in vain, when we start telling people that uh, you are cursed of God, and of course we have a very terrible saying in our, in our country that I'm not even going to use, but they they use a term to essentially say, I hope God will send you to hell. And these kinds of terms 
are, uh, like, like I said, guilty of the hell of fire. And James talks about this a little bit. Let's let's take a look at uh, uh, James chapter three verses uh, eight through twelve. And Jeff, I think you're up. Would you like to read that for us, please? Sure. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? or a grapevine bear figs, thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Okay, so James takes the words of Jesus and moves it into a different level. Jesus talks about raka and you fool, and James just sums it all up with, with any curse, anytime you curse men, either with raka or in which you are cursing them, or with you fool in which you are calling down God's curse on them. And let, let's go back a little bit. God is love. You know, God gives every man his entire life. He never curses him. He gives him his entire life to either repent and come to him so that he can forgive him, or to continue in rebellion until there's nothing more God can do. And that should be our attitude. When, as a Christian, we're seeking to evangelize, we're seeking to save everyone we possibly can, and then we allow these kind of emotions into our heart, and people don't forget that. If you call them a name like that, and then next week you say, I'd like to study the Bible with you, I'd like to teach you about God, they're gonna, that's not going to work. And so we have to be so careful. Yes, we feel anger toward people, but... As Jesus said, you feel the anger because of the action, not because of the person. If you move from the action to the person, as I say, if somebody breaks a beautiful object of yours or somebody crashes into your car, you, you're going to feel a little bit of frustration because that shouldn't have happened. But to direct that frustration at the individual in the form of anger, now we've gone the first step. Then if we get so angry that we call them and we curse them by our own uh, feelings, but then again, if we call down God's curse upon them, then uh, we get into serious problems. And so in the English language, we have uh, our own forms of raka. Uh, stupid is one of them. You stupid. Uh, you're so stupid. Uh, jerk is one we use. Blockhead is not so much used anymore, but used to be. Uh, knucklehead, dunce, idiot, fool, imbecile, moron, bonehead. I mean, we we have our we in English we have our fair share of these things, and it's just it's really sad. And whenever we think that word or we say that word out loud, we have moved not only into anger but into the second step, which puts us in danger of the council. And if we go even to the next step, which would be to call down curses upon them, and we don't have a lot of words for that in our culture. Even moron just means somebody who doesn't have any sense. But when we ask God to condemn that person, then we've moved into the third step. Yeah, it's interesting you made the kind of the side comment. We certainly have a lot of choice words. 
<laughs> just a whole lot to quote unquote pick from in our modern vernacular. Uh, you mentioned some of them, and of course, you just hinted at there's there's a whole set of you know profane ones as well um, that are just, as you said, a moment away, moment away from our our, our you know losing our temper, so to speak, and, and speaking things we shouldn't. Um, so I think what we've seen so far, you know, based on the scriptures, is, is not only have we seen it in the Old Testament, we've also seen it, you know, reemphasized. Uh, in the New Testament with both, you know, Jesus and Paul, you know, we talk, we've seen the progression, if you will, uh, the warnings from James about letting our, you know, tongues get away from us, so to speak, uh, directing this anger toward a brother, using these terms. Um, but Alan, are there other scriptures that also help to uh, further uh, clarify or give additional guidance beyond the ones we've studied so far? Yes. Uh, the Apostle Paul gives us some uh, very important verses. Uh, that we can look at. So, uh, Brian, I'd, I'd like you to read uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26. And actually, it's, it's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through 32. Here it says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So we now we see two words. We see the word wrath and we see the word anger. So not only does uh, our Lord tell us that we need to watch out for anger, but now we have another term here that gives us a whole new dimension of this quality. The first term uh, has the idea of something that didn't exist flared up, and then went away. And that's how most of our anger is. We don't know the person. We've, we've never seen them before. We'll never see them again. The anger flares up. We might have a few choice words for them in our own mind that we never even speak, but God's noted it, and now we're in sin, and we'll have to repent of that. But then, within an hour or two, we actually forget about it. Uh, it's not, that, not a, an issue. And so that anger, and that's the anger Jesus is talking about, uh, is a very quick anger. But there's another word for anger which is much more serious, and it's the one that often leads to the most terrible things that mankind can do to another, a fellow human being. And that is a word that the Greeks got from watching a plant grow. Uh, they would, you would see a, a, a shoot come up out of the ground and then over time it would swell and it would grow and it would develop. And so when we watch a, a fruit on the tree, we watch it swell until it's ripe. And so they use this term for an, an, an anger that just continues to grow. And this is the term for, uh, an anger that maybe started five years ago, 10 years ago, somebody did something and we didn't like it, but we didn't forget it. And the next time we saw them, it grew a little bit more, it got a little bit bigger. And then maybe they did something else and it, it grew a little bit more and it's continuing to grow. And this anger, is what we would oftentimes call wrath because it is a settled feeling of anger 
they don't even have to do anything anymore. When we see them, our face kind of crinkles up or our heart just kind of looks and just, there's just a sense of contempt and disgust and it doesn't go away. And so that is when, when most people think about anger, I think that's what they're thinking of. I think they're thinking about this wrathful anger. Uh, and most of us give ourselves a pass on the other type of anger. Like I said, if I meet someone, they do something that I don't like, I feel anger at them, I call them a name in my mind, and then I go away and forget about it, and I may never even repent of that. But Jesus said, that's the point where sin has occurred. That's where you're guilty. The anger at, directed at that person, even if it never did anything, you're guilty. But if you take it the next step and you you utter a word of contempt in your mind, doesn't matter. You don't have to say it to them. You just have to think it, and you've gone to the next level. But if we if this is somebody in our family or somebody in the church or somebody in our village or somebody at our workplace, and they've done something to make us anger angry, and we have never forgotten it, it has just grown and grown and grown that is this wrathful side of anger. So uh, somebody once told me that it's the difference between putting a a uh, a very flammable uh, weed or uh, flammable uh, branch that you throw it on the fire and it just roars up and crackles, but within about a minute or two or maybe five, it's gone. But then you go and you get some hardwood. You get some wood that's very, very hard. And it takes a while to get it going. But once it's going, it will burn and burn and burn and burn. And so watching out for these. uh, When somebody does something to us that really hurts us or makes us angry, and we hold on to it. Remember when Paul said, uh, be angry and don't sin, he also said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let it grow. Don't let it go to the next step. Like Jesus said, if if we have to pray for those who despitefully use us, we have to be ready to go the second mile. We have to be ready to turn the other cheek. But if we don't, if we hold on to the anger, now we're in a whole different level. And this isn't what Jesus was talking about, because Jesus was talking about that anger that flares up and goes away. This is an anger that uh, maybe doesn't flare up at all, but you're making plans. I'm going to get you. I'm going to hurt you. Someday, I'm, you're going to be paid back. And, and, of course, that leads to the idea of vengeance. And vengeance is another area where we have to be so careful. And, you know, you look at passages. Let's look at a couple passages here. Uh, uh, Brian, would you read 1 John chapter 3, verse 15? Uh, yes, here it says, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So once again, just like Jesus. Now, again, James is taking it to a different level. Jesus is just talking about that flare-up of anger. Because, you know, that's what we call murder. If if somebody cuts me off on the road and I get so angry that I chase them down and after I chase them down, maybe I get out of my car and I'm ready to fight with them. 
and maybe they get out of their car and we hit each other and somehow this person falls down and dies. Well, where did the sin start? The sin started even before I started following him. The sin started when the action which made me angry, now I'm directing it at this person. And so that's what leads to hatred. Now, hatred, again, is a, is a long-term emotion. You don't usually hate someone. Uh, you can be hateful, but if you don't know them, you never see them again, uh, we, we generally would just call that anger. We would call it hatred. But when it reaches a point where every time we see that person, we just feel this disgust. You remember Haman. Whenever Haman saw Mordecai, he, he just wanted him dead. He wanted him cursed. And this is something the Pharisees felt toward Jesus because he was constantly showing them their sin, not because he didn't like them, but because he wanted to help them. So if we hate, we're a murderer. And no murderer has eternal life. So once again, we're coming back to, as I said, there's three different issues here we have to look at. The first is the anger that flares up, leading us to maybe say a word that we shouldn't say, leading us to maybe bringing down a curse of God upon them or actually murdering them. But then there's this second emotion, which is the long-term burning anger that leads us into an entirely different realm. And that would uh, bring up another, I think, very important passage here, so, um, Jeff, would you like to read verse uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21? Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. And this is a verse that I think puts into perspective what God wants his people to be in this world. And that is, let your light shine. Let your light shine that people can see your good works. And uh, the moment that I become angry and I start yelling at someone, Whoever sees me do that, I, I've pretty much, my light's out. How am I going to get that light relit with that person? Uh, the sad reality is, is that when I avenge myself, whether I follow them home and call them names, or maybe in the grocery store somebody does something that makes me angry and I, I berate them, and all the people who see me doing that, I'm avenging myself, and God wants me to turn the other cheek. God wants me to maintain my agape love so that at any future time, I might be able to help this person go to heaven. And so I can't avenge myself. Don't, don't call them names. Don't curse them. Don't uh, plot a way to harm them. Don't allow yourself to hate them. Don't allow yourself to do anything because should you do that, you have lost your position in God's kingdom as being a vessel of mercy. You have lost your position as being a vessel of gold or silver because now you've lost your opportunity with that person. And so God wants us to understand vengeance belongs to me. That's not for you. The wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. 
So vengeance belongs to God. And so what does God want us to do? Well, if my enemy's hungry, I don't laugh. I don't scoff. I don't feel secretly delighted that he is now being punished. I feed him. I want this person in heaven. I want them to be saved, even though maybe I don't like them. And maybe there's some valid reasons why we don't like them. But God says, don't direct your anger at them. Direct your anger at their conduct. Certainly their conduct is evil. Uh, I'm sure the Christians in the the first century who were dealing with the Apostle Paul, uh, who was then Saul of Tarsus, and they probably felt some very great anger at him causing one of their family members to blaspheme God and quit being a Christian or to throw them into prison and have them put to death. That's not fair, and it creates an anger. But if we take it the next step and we direct that anger toward a person, then our effectiveness becomes much, much less. And so God is wanting us, again, we're building our house on the rock. And anger is a dangerous emotion that needs to be contained and not acted upon. As I say, that initial feeling of anger is not a sin. If you keep it directed at the frustration of the event or the circumstance, and don't let it go any further, and put it away, and don't let the sun go down on it, you haven't sinned. But if you have directed it toward that person, even if you didn't call them a name, you've just directed it toward that person, that's a sin, you'll have to repent. If you direct it toward that person, and you do call them a name, then you have not only a need to repent to God, but also to confess to God and to that individual if you have the opportunity to do so. So God wants us to be part of his solution for sinful people, not part of the problem that is keeping you or keeping that person from coming to him. So if he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink because you're going to be heaping coals of fire on his head. Now, we don't want to misunderstand this. This is not saying, if you do this, you're going to really make him unhappy. This is saying, this is the only course to bringing about their conversion. You can overcome their evil with good. And I think this coals of fire is what Jesus was talking about when he told Paul, when he was on the road to Damascus, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. Every time he put a Christian to death and they blessed him and they acted toward him in a much more godly way than he was acting toward them, it was creating these coals of fire and it was creating a discomfort that Jesus later said, it's hard for you to kick against the point, the pointiness of my people being better than you are. And so when we do good things to people who don't deserve it, we are actually being a part of God's uh, process of evangelism. We're giving them something. So let's say we go at them and we just say all kinds of terrible things about them. And the person goes away saying, I would never, ever step foot in a church of Christ because look at how these members of the church of Christ act. Or maybe we could turn it around and we feed him, we take care of him, we we manifest, even though he's just done something terrible to us, we turn it around. Then the next time he has an opportunity, he might say, I think I need to go to that Church of Christ because those people are very, very sincere. 
And so again, in verse 21, do not overcome, don't, do not be overcome by evil, by becoming angry, by cursing, by uh, calling down imprecations or curses from God or actually committing violence and murder. You know, we didn't talk too much about violence, but violence is the step just before the murder. And God hates violence. We see before the flood that the earth was full of violence and God was grieved and God determined to destroy the earth because he does not uh, want us to treat our fellow man with any kind of violence. And sadly, anger is one of the most uh, critical elements that brings about this kind of conduct. Yeah, you know, appreciate those thoughts, Alan. This is such an important subject. I think we all understand that anger can be so destructive. You know, you think about marriages that are dissolved, you know, physical and verbal abuse of others, uh, really even the physical toll, you know, it takes on the person who has a problem with anger. Um, so hopefully our listeners can understand, you know, why it's so important to understand and control it. And, you know, it made me think about, you know, this is why we've, heard advice like count to 10, right? Before you act uh, when you're upset so that you do not act harshly. Uh, and certainly if you have children, you know, you want to count to 10. You don't want to just react and end up, you know, being once again too harsh. And uh, also a, a passage that I really like, you know, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 32, it says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. And I think, Alan, that kind of gives us an idea of how great it is when you can truly control that anger. And that's an excellent point. And I'm sure God is just so happy. You know, a lot of us were not raised as Christians. We were raised in the world. And some of us brought that anger with us from the world. And as God watches us, put that away and control it and become more powerful within our spirit. That's, that's what Christianity is all about. Christianity is about becoming, we were created in the divine image and becoming or going back to that divine image is where we would want to go. And I wanted to uh, just kind of look at a few other verses before we uh, wind down our, our discussion. The first one, which is the one Paul is quoting, Paul quotes when he says, be angry and don't sin, he's actually quoting Psalms 4.4. And Psalms 4.4 takes it in a little different direction than Paul does. Paul simply says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Well, this verse actually tells us how we keep that from happening. So, Jeff, would you like to read that verse for us, please, Psalm 4.4? Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Okay, so that's how we don't let the sun go down on our wrath. We start, you know, if you have an anger problem, you need to memorize these scriptures and you need to get to where you see the boundary points as you pass them. When you feel the anger, you're already in great danger, especially if you have the temptation toward that. And at that point, you need to understand, if I direct this anywhere, I'm sinning. If I direct this at a person, if I direct this at, at any individual, then I'm in sin. So be angry and don't sin means don't direct it at the person. Well, how do I stop that? Meditate within your heart. The word meditation simply means to think. 
You remember in uh, uh, Joshua chapter 1, God told Joshua, you shall meditate on these words day and night so that you will be able to do all the words of this law. And that's a critical point for all of our listeners to realize. If we don't have any scriptures to quote, then we don't have any guidance and we don't have any boundaries. So with anger, we have to understand that Jesus gave some clear boundaries. And those are the things we need to be meditating on. We need to be meditating on the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. We need to meditate on don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Uh, We need to meditate on we can't show hatred because if we have hatred, we're a murderer. If we allow these things, so what do we do? Well, we're angry, but we walk away, we go home, as we lay down at night, we think carefully about the day and about the situation that arose and how we should have responded, and then we put out that emotion and we become calm and still and we don't allow the anger continue into the morning, which would turn it into that next one we talked about, and that is now it's starting to grow like fruit. It's starting to build and build and build. Uh, Another verse uh, along a similar line is found in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22. Uh, Brian, would you please read that for us? Uh, Here it says, an angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. So this is, again, if, if we're not prone to anger, anger comes once a week, once a month, we immediately contain it, then for us, anger is not a serious issue. But for those people who get angry every day, for those people who are angry and frustrated anytime somebody does anything, we're ready to stir up strife. And uh, so many churches have been ripped apart by an angry person who won't let it go, won't let go, constantly churning up trouble, trying to get people to take sides with him. Did you hear what so-and-so did to me? And this was so wrong, and I'm so upset about it, and uh, get them to commiserate with us. And But then he takes it to another level, and that is the furious man. And that's the person who's going to start saying words he shouldn't say, and doing things he shouldn't do. And so this verse is, again, very helpful to us. When we start thinking about anger, and we start thinking about uh, our own personal life, would you call yourself an angry man or an angry woman? Would you? Are you one of those people who can be angry and not sin, and put it out of your mind the same day and never think of it again? Uh, these are things that become very important to us. A couple more I want to look at before we uh, wind this down. Let's look at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 9. Jeff, please read that for us. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Okay, now God can say this is a foolish thing, or God can call us a fool because he knows. And he says, if you say there's no God, I consider you a fool. Here he says, if you hasten to be angry in your spirit. Now, this is an interesting concept. Uh, when we get angry, there's, there's something within us that says, 
this person has done something wrong. They need to pay for it. They need to pay for it now, and I'm the one who needs to be sure that they are going to pay for it. Now, you can see we've leaped over several levels there when we get to that point. And, but that's what this is saying. Once you become angry, you want to hurry up before the anger is gone. You want to hurry up and deal with this and let these people know. And the sad reality is, is that it would be better not to say anything. I've learned through the years that when I become angry with someone and I feel like I need to go and talk to them, I'm going to tell myself in my own heart, let's wait. Let's wait till we're not angry anymore. And many times when I'm not angry anymore, I'd say to myself, well, you know, that wasn't that big of an issue. I just got upset about it, but I'm going to let it go. Or we might say at that point, I've thought this through. I'm not angry anymore, but I need to go talk to that person because this is a serious problem. But if I'm not that kind of a person, I'm the kind of person who is going to quickly become angry and let them have it, then that kind of anger rests in the bosom of fools because, as Jesus said, if you allow that anger, you're guilty of the judgment. If you say contemptuous words, you're guilty of the counsel. And if you start casting out condemnations from God at them, you're ready for your danger of the, the hell of fire. And then just, just one more. Let's read uh, Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 28. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. So, one more. Uh, you know, some people have called anger temporary insanity. And in a sense, I think that's probably a good point. Because when you're angry, you are not thinking clearly. And, and in many respects, as a Christian, you're out of your mind. You know in your heart that all of these things that you're about to do or about to think or about to say, they shouldn't be said. Now, you may not be able to remember it, but as soon as you calm down, that's the first thing you're going to say, I believe. So what do we learn how to do? We learn to become slow to wrath because that brings great under, it manifests great understanding. It manifests everything we've said about. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't direct it at the person. Don't feel contemptuous toward them. Don't desire to get vengeance on them. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Those people have great understanding. But the people who are impulsive and just do what's ever in their mind at that moment, they're just, they're building a monument to folly. They are acting in such a way that it's just, it's just so sad. And that's the problem. Anger turns us all into foolish people. Anger makes us do things that no Christian would do. And so we need, as God's people, as I said at the very beginning, uh, the first sin was anger. The first sin of anger led to murder. Jesus said, if you want to build your house on a foundation, then don't ever allow your anger to be directed at the person. Direct it at the event or at the thing, but never at the person. And once we learn this, we're gonna, it's going to bring our home into a much more peaceful situation. It's going to bring our, our uh, relationship with other people into a much more peace, peaceful situation. And it's going to cause people to see that we've been with Jesus, that Jesus is guiding us, and we've become a different kind of a person. 
Oh, Alan, certainly on behalf of our uh, listeners, uh, we appreciate you coming forward with uh, a lot of these uh, very good, very, very relevant, <laughs> very applicable kinds of uh, thoughts tonight. Uh, certainly appreciate that because I, I suspect if, uh, you know, ourselves as well as our listeners were to really think about it, certainly applicable. <laughs> Sometimes quite frequently, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that that is so true. And I don't know very many people who haven't had a problem with this at least once in their life and some of us once a week or even once a day so i, I agree with you there that's very relevant and there's not many people who hear these words that don't need to apply them yes indeed um brian any other thoughts before i uh, wrap it up for the day you know one final thought for me and it's kind of interesting how many different ways anger can manifest itself and you know Sometimes it may not involve people. It just may involve situations. And I know in my own life, when you were talking about Orge, Alan, and how, you know, it's this slow building anger, you know, and it could be one of these scenarios where you had a bad day, you're driving, somebody cuts you off, you get home, you get out of your car, you slip on the ice, you fall, you know, you go to get in your house and you smash your thumb. And next thing you know, you've hit that point where you lose it, so to speak. And so... For me, it's just so important to be able to recognize in my own life, like when this is starting to build, when this is happening and just do everything I can uh, to to not let it go, so to speak, and sin, of course. That is an excellent point, Brian. I wish I'd have made it myself. <laughs> so many wives and so many children have paid the steep price for the very thing that you're talking about. They just happen to be the one who got the brunt of all of that anger and that's not fair it's not their fault indeed well and certainly for our listeners i would would encourage you i mean if you if you walk away from the podcast with nothing else at the very least think of this in terms of you know not just the overt action of killing someone or beating someone up not the overt action of calling them names but it really starts back in the thought, in the mind, with our emotions. And it's those kinds of things in their infancy, as Al, I think said earlier, that we need to nip in the bud. Uh, certainly would also encourage our podcast listeners to, to go to our website at biblequestions.org, where if you look under the topics menu item, uh, under the letter A, you will find several articles related to tonight's topic, Anchor. So we would certainly encourage you to uh, continue your study on this very timely and personally relevant topic. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.